Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of Racken and your host for the Club 2030 podcast. And in this episode, we take on the interesting challenge of regulating uh, LMs and AI. And in that discussion, we do take on this core idea of can we limit it? How do we limit it? And where do we go? We approach this at multiple angles uh, and actually look through what it's like to regulate this type of technology. If you're interested in limits of any technology um, and specifically how AI gets regulated and where we're likely to impose legislative uh, barriers or restrictions on this, uh, then this will be a fascinating podcast for you. I know you'll enjoy it. The topic, the topic of the day um, is a continuation from uh, back in August, which is about uh, what type of controls can we apply to LLMs? So going back to this idea of LM code of ethics, uh, you know, uh, you know, government regulation, is it, you know, is it possible to regulate these things? Um, but I could see there's two sides to this. One is the technical piece, and then there's just the um, regulatory. Uh, actually, interestingly, normally I, I prefer technical, but I, I think for the conversation, it might be interesting to think through. Uh, it, you know, if the governments were going to regulate LLMs, what would that look like? Well, I mean, we can look at the recent court cases when, uh, with regards to copyright on LLM, uh, as an example. Um, like it's already been ruled in various jurisdictions that um, material generated through LLMs and similar, similar AI systems are not copyrightable. So if we stretch this to um, regulations, uh, then um, or, or, or even further than, than that, um, I, I would say that there is a currently a very strong challenge uh, of the regulatory bodies uh, or not so much challenge, but opinion, a very strong opinion that LLMs um, do not equal to personhood, uh, which okay. seems obvious to us, but when we consider that a corporation has personhood, um, this has uh, bigger implications. Interesting. The when when I look at what we're talking about, but I, boy, there's so many places where you went that are interesting for follow up. Just just on the copyright piece, if I. <laughs> If I had LLM generate something and then changed one word or one pixel, like did something, you know, on top of that, that 
could conceivably then make it copyright protected, right? I mean, as soon as I've touched it, then it's conceivably a copy. I, I, mm. I, I guess that we, we then go into the discussion about what's derivative work or original work. Like how how much do you need to change of it to make it an original work again? Yeah, no, that's a, I think it'd be an interesting challenge for that. I, I think, and the reason why to me, that's an interesting question is because in all these LLMs, there's an element of what it takes for people to assume, um, what, what responsibility a person has in the LLM's output, because I can easily see a legislation, you know, not even saying we don't need legislation at the end of the day if if you if a person propagates or a company propagates anything created by an llm they would have responsibility for its accuracy and you could make the same argument in a way that they have ownership of its if they have responsibility they also would have ownership um of its output you see, you see where, how I'm tying those together? Is it in sort of what the question of, of responsibility is? If, if I'm like, yeah, go ahead and generate stuff with LLM. If LLM lies, you know, if where it invents your court cases or your patents or whatever, if, uh, God, the patents, I, I think I just made you, uh, I just made your head explode. Um, it, but if you're saying I am taking responsibility of this, you have, you have both sides of the coin on the responsibility. Uh, oh, not, not yeah, you have to be careful there. Um, okay. yeah. Ownership is not the same as responsibility. Mm. And, and in point of fact, uh, ownership comes with certain kinds of responsibilities and accountabilities okay. that um, they then there. And then there is a license to use or use or <laughs> rights to use that you that the owner grants to or sells to uh, someone else. So ownership and responsibility don't necessarily stay linked to one another. So you have to be careful about that. Um, yeah, that that Venn diagram is not a, a circle. Right. Uh, and and, and a, a simple example of this is uh, discussion forums or, or, or social media. Um, yes, the the social media companies will try to claim ownership of the content, uh, but um, or at least they will try to claim copyright of the content posted by people. But they will also try to deny ownership when it comes to material that is harmful to their reputation. Yeah. And so can I back up for just a second? Um, when you talk about regulation of LLM of LLMs, and you've gone, you know, directly into the data used for training, and their responsibilities to the owners and licensees of that data. And you've gone 
directly going, you've gone forward kind of downstream into um, the responsibilities and accountability of the owner uh, or the operator of the LLM and then their decision to propagate or distribute some something. Um, is that the only thing right now that you're focused on when discussing regulation? Because it goes much broader than that. I mean, you talk about um, the regulation of LLMs, the use of LLMs um, with respect to uh, risk models, for example. Any regulated industry right now is completely turned on its head with respect to the use of generative AI in risk models because they're not definitive. They're not. Um, and so you can <laughs> arguably put the same inputs into an LLM and get a different different result. So validating risk models right now is, in fact, uh, regulated by FINRA and SEC and a bunch of other folks there. Yeah. And, and at the moment, um, those are the kinds of levers you've, you've mentioned that uh, regulate use. They're different in different uh, jurisdictions, but some of them are, you know, kind of across the board in, in some of the financial community. So that's a, that's a perfectly good example of when and where um, regulatory oversight and control can immediately have impact on the use of LLMs. Uh, same is going to go for pharmaceuticals and, and various types of, of health health related uh, data and, and research. So um, I guess I'm coming back to, do you want to, do you want to narrow the focus or do you want to keep a broad focus on this? I, I, this is, I'm okay either way. Um, I, I, I think broad is still helpful because I think we're trying to figure out where to go with it. I was, I was pulling one thread. I agree with you. There's, there's, um, so many concerns here from a governance perspective. Um, that you know, I'm I'm not even sure where you know where we would look at regulation coming from or where the the motivation would be. Um, I think the property ownership one is an easy one for people to sort of get their heads around, um, and I think you know what you were describing because I I was just at you know uh, one of the major banks in innovation summit and they were very very clear in all this that. You know, building LLMs in which they know the data that went into it, they can validate the, the, the systems, they can make sure that the, the things they're feeding into that LLM are controlled, right? They, they were very explicit that they are not just using off-the-shelf LLMs, um, that the guardrails are a major component, um, and that they also see tons of interesting potential for using um the off-the-shelf LLMs to improve outcomes in chat or in user interaction or in helping, right? Um, 
they actually gave a very clear example. They're like, we have all this data from credit card transactions. We can, you know, they're, they're buying travel companies and being like, you know what, we actually can help, you know, use AI to help people book trips um, and use the reward points we give them and, and create a, you know, a better experience like that. And, um, they, you know, and then they'll turn around and say, and we have to make sure that none of that data crosses any, anything is all, you know, it's, it's, it's all carefully managed in, in the mix. It, it is interesting to think of what would go, what would trigger and everything I described, I don't think a regulator would even hiccup at, at the moment because of, you know, because they're using well, it internally. Yeah, go ahead. I, I don't know about that because okay. if I just take the last example that you um, gave with the travel company, even if that data is anonymized, how much intrusion can you actually bring to someone's life before regulators are going to say, even though the data is anonymized, you're pulling it from credit history or you're pulling it from the mm. travel company's data and you're now becoming intrusive into their life. Privacy is coming up as a new kind of think of it in a different way, not PII in the sense of revealing your name and address, but rather how intrusive can AI generated models be to our lives before the regulators are going to start raising the red flag. So I know a couple here who have already started raising that red flag saying, you're coming into parts of my life that I'm not giving you permission to. You're not offering me a product that's carved in stone, like book a tour, you know, to Delaware or wherever or Maryland uh, using this uh, carrier and this hotel because this is the cheapest deal you're going to get. They're more kind to kind of looking at what day of the week your credit history or your travel history tells them you would be traveling on what your favorited airline is because you have the most freebies or miles or what is the most convenient airport. In other words, it's starting to become intrusive into your lifestyle. But, and but that's the when they're that, saying it's an invasion of privacy. The, the thing that's fascinating to me is that you actually crossed in some of those comments into what the government's uh, pursuing. And we, we haven't, we should talk about this as a dedicated topic, uh, how the government's pursuing Amazon and antitrust, because I think that part of the argument of, you know, that example with the bank is they're like, well, if we own all of these properties, then we're violating your privacy (laughs) because we're, we're using data that we're allowed to use, you know, internal and it's not crossing, right. There's no sharing anywhere. It's all our internal whatever's. Just but the but but the way you're framing it and the way the government has been talking about antitrust with Amazon being able to use their own partner vendors data against them to right to basically hijack their profit of profits. There's a lot of payola in that also that's (laughs) I think different. Um, But and and then on the on the cultural side, it's also always shocking uh, and, and very much disheartening 
how much of the general population is actually okay with giving away so much privacy intrusive information well like there's there's a a benefit right uh uh short-term benefit yeah but like like, uh what's that that crypto company that 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 put up cameras to scan people's irises for fifty dollars like that that's your unique identifier and and, and you're selling it away for fifty dollars right yeah but but to your point rob you know uh, it's in the case of amazon if they took the travel information and they looked at what their criteria were for granting you a credit card and said, well, you spend too much on travel. So you're not, uh, you're more risky than Joe Blow who doesn't travel as often. And you should be putting your money that way. That's where the cross domains start to come in. And that's where the regulators are raising the flag. So to add on to that, slightly different topic, but the same idea is I'm I'm working on a piece that I'll put out probably later today. One of the biggest attractions we have to the LLMs as human beings is it is truly not the ultimate, but very close to the ultimate in human machine interaction or interface. That's what draws us to it. It speaks the same language we do. Therefore, it has a tremendous amount of influence. Could you then regulate based on, are you using this LLM as an HMI? Or are you using it to educate or inform? Now, can you make the distinction between those two things is a different question. But really, if it's companies' private data and they take the tack under X regulation that this is being used as an interface to help us help you. That's a different set of regulations and might be easier for regulators to deal with and companies to deal with than the other, which is the much broader. I need providence. I need lineage. I need an S bomb for it. I need the foundational models not to be five years out of date. Right. But or whatever. There's a there's an interesting because where where you went sort of with this ends up being like consumer safety, and and I I have this idea, and I don't, I don't think it's it's not even it's not even far fetched, right? Companies are building they have built psychometric profiles for sure. people, and literally your credit card company or whatever could be using your psychometric profile to sell you, you know. Targeted. I mean, we're, we're already there. They're, they're telling you targeted um, offers based on your psychometric profile, um, and pricing things based on your psychometric profile. Um, and there's an element at some point where I'm, I'm thinking through, like how you know states are regulating the size of Slurpees and combo meals and stuff like that, because literally we are selling people, you know. Um, sugary food that is addictive right we did the same thing with cigarettes and all sorts of warning labels are we approaching algorithmic addictive like like you know things that are that are basically just algorithmically um targeted to hitting your your 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I, can, I mean, this is one of the things Facebook got in trouble for, right? Was addicting people sure. to social media. Um, and there's regulation coming coming down the pipe to maybe coming down the pipe to help uh, control the addictiveness of the the intentional addictiveness of those platforms. Um, I just find it really hard for to believe regulators are going to um, step in front of that without something very egregious, even if it's egregious. Yeah, but, but yeah. Rob, that, that's been going on for decades already. I mean, that's what frequent flyer programs are. It's price differentiation. I mean, there was a but, case but they're, study. But they're, but they're not personalized, right? I mean, that's the, the, the thing that got, you know, this was, you know, right you know, early was the how, how much the social media programs target individual behaviors to keep them on the platform, keep them using the platform. Right. I mean, the frequent flyer programs, you know, are, you know, definitely buy incentives, but they're not individualized. Well, do you know that? I mean, do you get uh, free upgrades based on your psychometric um, profile, at, le- at least in terms of your your travel behavior? Uh, is, it, I, I guess the, I, I'm That's true. I agree with you. I'm just taking the other side to kind of explore oh, I, this. I think it's incredibly hard for any type of regulation to um, overcome the argument that people's free will is that people have agency in, in everything we're talking about, right? We're, we're describing things that are suggestion engines functionally are creating ideal, you know, environments for you to feel most welcome or buy or whatever. They're, they're, they're not robbing you of agency by, you know, sending you goods. <laughs> oh, by the way, I charge your credit card and we're not there yet, but um, you know, you're not, you're not, crossing the agency line but we had those arguments with cigarettes and fast food and things like that we're like you know we we can't remove somebody's agency to pick up a cigarette but we certainly need to um tell people to stop right um oh, okay there's a different yeah. um, and it's it's not the first time that we've seen something like this in, in computing like for example um like all of these uh, technologies that um, that we're talking about regulating or that have been regulated, at one point or another, they've been beneficial. It's just that their their abuse is what's triggering the regulation. Like for example, uh, like mm-hmm. ad networks, those started out as just content personalization. Yeah. Um. I don't know if you remember back in the odds, like this very annoying desktop agent called Bonsai Buddy that ended up being like added to systems as spyware. That was an academic tool initially. Mm-hmm. So it and it just turns out again that the that the market uh corrupts and and, and misshapes the, these tools into a profit-driven uh, system, um, and yeah. that's that's what makes regulation so difficult. Is that you don't want to outright ban it, but you you need to be able to define in law what constitutes abuse. 
Right. Or there's another there's another approach to that. And it's kind of the the reverse. It's not exactly the reverse. You eliminate what has been grandfathered protection. So, for example, right now, when Facebook using some algorithm decides to present something to you as opposed to just let things flow according to your your in your your request to just see what my friends have have um, placed on um, on Facebook when there's an algorithmic choice to either put something in front of you or not present something to you and that choice is based on uh, eyeball retention time things like that facebook has always claimed that they're covered by you know section 230 not our job right that's right as soon as you have algorithmic management of what is presented to somebody then one of the ways of rare very rapidly changing the whole story is removing section 230 protection and basically saying if facebook you have done this in conjunction with a customer let's just say a super PAC for a presidential candidate that um, is doing this in order to suppress a vote. I'm sorry, no Section 230. You are as a vehicle. Oh, interesting. You as a vehicle have, in some sense, I won't say conspired, but you have been, you are, um, What's the term I'm complicit. searching for? Yeah, you're complicit or you're you're an accomplice to to an intention. So mm -hmm. and if that intention is and, and if that intention has been covered by um voting regulation, anything else, sorry, you're you're a uh, you're uh, you're included. Do you think that some of what we're describing could be an end to 230? Yeah. The, I, and, and I think there's an interesting element here where you could start arguing that Section 230 is no longer material because with AI, we have the ability to actually police the content. And it, it's not a matter of it's impossible to control what goes across your wires. But now now you could actually have a mechanism to analyze and 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 uh, have AI. It's an interesting. It's not. It, this is not without. You know, this is not without its own own impacts and and complications. Yeah. But as a uh, as an almost immediate, you know, change of the of the the landscape here on this, removing that and uh, making the conduit. This is different from what uh, Joanne was describing as using the AI as an interlocutor, as a, as mm -hmm. a human machine interface. When 
the decision is being made when agency is is included here you can't hide behind the section 230 that's what i'm that's what i'm saying and if that can be if that can be ascertained that is there's been some algorithmic choice you as a as a vendor of or as a as a publisher in fact um have made a choice as to what to present or what not to present then i think all bets are off you don't get that you don't forget you don't get that protection and i'd say almost at the outset that would change an enormous amount of what we've described as being the problems with most social media i would agree but as I just put in the chat, agency is different by geography. Uh, jurisdictional uh, issues. Yeah, that's are, true. Jurisdictional issues are absolutely going to come into play here. Without question. Yeah, and so is here, here's another one. Here's another one. Um, the regulation on translation, because there are many products out there now that are doing that are using foundational english llms to do the translation to french let's say but mm. is it going to pass muster in quebec versus france no <laughs> is it going to pass muster in the uk versus the us no Yeah, okay. I, I thought that to a degree, the vectorization eliminated a lot of the translation burden for these LLMs. But you, weights, weights and biases, my friend. Weights and biases. That's right. a problem. Okay. Yeah, because idiomatics are different no matter. I mean, you can, there's international French, there's Parisian French, there's Quebecois, there's you name it. Just as one example, and you could do the same with virtually any other language mm -hmm. Is, isn't that just a specialized llm for that region or is there something more well which, which, who's who's llm for that region is it open is it anthropics <laughs> is it is it deep minds what's the source <laughs> material that is that was used for training it bingo and when training set What's the training set? Has it been validated with respect to, you know, biases, alignment, ethics, all of these things? I mean, the, 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 smart, the smart approach would be to use the translation software to, to, to create a first draft and then still retain uh, standard translator service okay humans to review and, and, and essentially do copywriting on on the first draft to ensure veracity or at least make that kind of service available if you suspected or if you were concerned about how something had been translated the which however and doing on, on every utterance would be difficult but if i were looking at something that i felt was 
pretty important to make sure I got the correct or an, an appropriate translation. I would like to be able to have some place to go that would basically say, I'd like a, I'd like a, an interpreter, not so much a translator. I would like an interpreter, and then I might want a translator, human in both cases, to review this. Which, however, uh, assumes that the interpreter and translator are not taking yeah. shortcuts either. Like, take for example uh, the very real life example of Amazon's Mechanical Turk. Like the people who 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 are signed up the service yeah. have been starting to use LLMs to provide answers. Right. It, it's interesting because because some of the there's one of the things that you're describing here are almost library or librarian style roles where mm -hmm. I could imagine this is their this is you know that is a place where there's a governmental need or a societal need that a government might care about to maintain and authenticate these LMs right we've never in any conversation so far talked about sort of base level governmental involvement in something where but a, a translation like i could see the canadian government being involved in an authoritative lm for uh conversions from canadian english to um canadian french right so a uh got thrown my canadian english <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes, but you realize. How about that? <laughs> yes, but uh, you realize that the Canadian government right. and its use of French would be subject to regulatory requirement in Quebec. Yeah, that well, that's why I'm thinking that they would they would want to play the librarian intermediary authoritative source here and then to reduce the barriers to interacting with uh french canadian french speakers they could actually be saying this is a resource that you can add into your your system in order to 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 better accomplish that goal. Right. One one of the things we haven't talked about at all is we have we have these all they're all commercial models. One of the things that we swung on on the other side that I found fascinating was this idea of, you know, if if we break up big companies, we diffuse some of the um data manipulation potential, right? And that that's a general problem we have with with technologies being bigger and bigger and bigger, having a broader and broader swath of control. But there's another swing to that, which says governments could actually be involved in producing certain digital assets that are of general use to its their citizenry. Okay, but actually, yeah. perhaps the point was a little, okay. you know, great. Yeah. The point that I was trying to make was yeah. bilingual in Canada and bilingual in Quebec are two different things. Because okay. Quebec has its own charter of rights and languages that may be differentiated from the rest of Canada because you have a lot of French speakers around the country, particularly in the east, 
east part of the country that their French is an Acadian French. It's not Quebecois. So as you go down that road, the regionality, and you would have the same thing, I think, uh, with Puerto Rican Spanish speakers versus Spanish speakers coming from Mexico, right? You'd have that in the U.S., um, you can you can start you know slicing that onion very very thin, or you can leave it in in wide swaths. But really, you have other standards that you can draw upon. Like for business, for example, you know there's still indices and index numbers for certain in uh, for certain types of industry that the government could definitely be curator for the specificities of the LLMs for those industries or those that are considered uh, national security, you know, defense contractors, things like that, that I can see them having a role in. What I can see is the actual library model, because they would be so biased depending on the geography that, you know, you'd have books available in one state that are not available in another. Well, it wasn't as much the availability because I was assuming that would be uh, neutral. I was more thinking the um, curation and building of of that. Like, like there's there's and and the indexes is a really interesting thing because the indexes are private, but but heavily regulated by the government to ensure that they are fair and impartial. Um, And so, you know, I could see a role where certain models would be reg- government certified or regulated um, as part of their availability, which we don't have at the moment. Right now, it's there, there's no certifying entity for any of these models. No. Um, yeah, I, I, I see your point, Rob, in, in that uh, the, the government libraries, like particularly thinking like, for example, the U.S.'s Library of Congress, it's not just a library it it it's a curator of of artifacts and, and, and a record keeping um institution so yes in, in in that sense i can see them taking on the role of maintaining versions of historically vetted llms yeah but however i don't see them as having the function of producing or updating those LLMs. It's oh boy. I I agree. I think it's a stretch. I think that there's a there's a fantasy of mine that I, I don't know if it's a dystopian or an, an <laughs> uh, um uh, utopian. Utopian, thank you. I'm like I'm, I haven't had word to <laughs> I haven't had to use utopian as a word for a long time. Only dystopian. <laughs> Uh, of of having the government actually provide a identity clearinghouse right where where we actually have because right now like if you want a centralized identity you go to google or you go to microsoft and and that is a dystopia to me because we're basically giving away all of the information that comes with having an identity service to a private company um with no guarantees on it, there there is a utopia to me, um, scary though it might be, of actually that being a governmental service because it is such an underpinning of commerce, and 
and interaction that the government could say we are going to provide and then protect a your you know we're going to provide a way for you to authenticate and have identity in a trusted way across all of these commercial services um i don't know if government if i would see government doing that but maybe yeah. uh kyc or kyb uh service so so right. not so much as providing an identity clearinghouse but an identity verification service saying like mm -hmm. yes the person claiming this is the person who they, they, they claim to be yeah without providing any additional pii right i mean the, the idea that we're using say clear instead of tsa pre i'm using clear i just handed right it's a government quasi-governmental thing but i handed over all sorts of information to them i i would rather that be backed by a government it's very clear on top of the kyb provided by the government with this um Hang on. So uh, okay you already have a service and so do we okay yours is the social security number that you're given at birth uh, ours is the social insurance <laughs> number that you're given when you go to work at the age of 16. yeah they well that's the service i mean uh, that is, could be is. the foundation listen your system is rather um Pardon the pardon the f bomb, <laughs> f up, because it's a easily hacked and b the fact that you give it at birth is one of the reasons that the identity theft issue in the U S is so great because yeah. it's child identity theft more than any other. Whereas ours because it's only when you're 16 and you're actually sentient that you can consent <laughs> because you're going to work. But irrespective, that service already exists. Why wouldn't it be the foundation as a government entity, if digitized, to start providing that level of? I, well, it, well, it, there, there's a couple of arguments that could be made there against happen. that. It, um, one is, um, well, who who then prevents the government from abusing being the the, the service? The the other one is, um. Is is this by itself sufficient these days? And I'm and I'm, I'm going to answer this because it's a regulatory question. I'm going to say no, because for example, if you buy a house, you cannot just use your SSN. You 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 need to have your check your your, your credit check by Equifax or um, whatnot, and those are the real identity clearinghouses there. And many of them are well. They're, and they're probably not inaccurate. Woefully, woefully inaccurate. All right. Yes. I am recognizing That's dystopian. that, that I, I have opened up a totally new one hour conversation. I put it on the calendar here. Well, identity, <laughs> identity, there's so much of what we need uh, in all of these things that is hinging on identity. I and, mean, and, you it talk is. about you know verification of a source of data, um, yeah. Uh, verification in in other kinds of transactions, of you know, off you know, authentic uh, authentication and authorization two different issues. You know, is it Rob Hirschfeld, and is Rob Hirschfeld in this context? 
permitted to or have access to X. Those all hinge on identity and no one has no one has had the guts <laughs> or the <laughs> or the power to drive through something that is sufficient for our purposes here. I, I'm going to hold this. I, I, I put it. I have that on the calendar as a future topic. Um, and I did. There's a little bit of logistics because because I want to um, get us. We have another book coming in the book group which is the data science context foundations and opportunities book. Um, I will give you all the link in, in here. Data science in context, sorry, is the, is the link. Um, and I was going to suggest discussing it the Thursday of reInvent, so the 30th. Of what month? November. November. Oh, okay. Can you do it? We're not meeting the Thursday before that is Thanksgiving, U.S. holiday. Um, we could push it back. So that would be little, that would be Thursday. That's the Thursday. The Thursday the thirtieth. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll I'll be at reInvent, but I'll call in from the, my hotel room. I will also be at reInvent uh, that morning, but that it's at about that point in time when my brain turns to mush at the end and, and you know my my sole purpose in life is to get the hell out of las vegas so you know i'll i'll, I'll be there okay good I'll, I'll we you and i should definitely make sure we we connect and and have some coffee or water or a good cry one of the other. definitely a good Definitely a good cry. <laughs> Definitely a good cry. Cool. So let me. I'm I'm putting that in there as as our date for that. I haven't read that book yet, so that gives that gives me six weeks to to read it. I'm assuming it's as dense as our other books, <laughs> but um, yes, we'll get there. Um, I will tell you that I started it, and I put it down, uh, and here. I started it, and I put it down. Okay. I might, I might get the paper copy because that makes it easier for me to flip, out, flip around. <laughs> well, oh. All I can tell you is I woke up with my my Kindle on my face. So <laughs> uh, I'm I'm reading Moby Dick at the moment, which is hilarious and uh, but but also uh, very good sleep assistance. Uh, that is that is the great American hairball. Yeah, you know, fantastic book, wonderful book. Yes, and yes. if you ever want, I don't know if it's still available. There was an NPR, or not an NPR, but it was a it was a public public media series that went back and used old movies including and and photography in some of the last whalers and they they actually go through the whole whaling industry as it existed right about the turn of the century from 19th to 20th wow. and it gives you such a, an incredibly good background in the nature of what these people were engaged in 
it is worth it's worth trying to track down. I'll, I'll look at it. We're we're reading it because my niece is reading it for for high school, and so the whole family picked it up, and we've been reading along with her. It's it's <laughs> but, really really good. Excellent. I will I will take a look for that. Um, and we're discussing the wager, which was inspired by um, yeah. Moby Dick. So right. a lot of nautical reading at the moment. All right. I do need to run. Everybody, thank Good you way. for another enjoyable and enlightening conversation where we <laughs> nibble away at this idea of LLM <laughs> regulation. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Wow. It's a fascinating discussion here where we really got to the meat of some of the challenges that involve regulating LMs, but even more specifically, I loved how we decomposed uh, the problem and then uh, looked at how we actually might uh, control where these technologies are going to be regulated and what other things might be unwound as a consequence of trying to limit the power and scope of LMs. Um, and most interestingly, actually using LMs to do that uh, work. So fascinating uh, discussion, one of many in this thread. And I hope that you'll choose to join us in future ones. You can find out more in our discussion schedule at the 2030.cloud and uh, think about joining our book club. Uh, read one of the books that we're discussing. We pick a different book every quarter. You can uh, read those, follow along, and even better, join in on the discussion. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.